Welcome to the Manifestation Bay podcast. My name is Katherine Zinkina, and I'm a manifestation expert, master mindset coach, and multiple seven-figure entrepreneur. I'm obsessed with helping you achieve everything that you once thought was impossible. If you're looking to massively up-level your life, your finances, your relationships, your productivity and success, then you have come to the right place. My goal in this podcast is to help you see the infinite potential within yourself to be, do, and have anything that your heart desires. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of mindset development to help you maximize who you are and where you're going. Leave it to me to provide you with the tools, the resources, the strategies, and teachings that you need to manifest a reality wilder than your wildest dreams. I know we're about to have so much fun together, so thank you so much for pushing play today, and now let's begin. If you've been wanting to master the art of manifesting money and cultivate a lighter, more enjoyable, more feminine, and dare I say, pleasurable approach to creating more money in your life, look no further because Sovereign Money is about to relaunch in just a couple of days. In fact, it opens up on Monday, May 20th, which is literally just around the corner. And this launch, I am doing something that I've never done before for everyone who gets on the wait list. I am giving you $100 off of your enrollment into Sovereign Money, and I'm opening the doors one day early with that $100 off special. This is only available to those who get on the wait list before Sunday the 19th, and it will expire once we launch to the public on May 20th. Don't wait. You can get on the wait list right now by going to manifestationbabe.com slash SM. That's S as in sovereign, M as in money. Again, that's manifestationbabe.com slash SM for that $100 off of your enrollment into sovereign money. Hello, my beautiful souls, and welcome back to another episode of the Manifestation Bay podcast. I know it's been a long time coming, and I thank you for your patience. There are so many amazing podcast episodes coming your way as soon as I finish my signature course, the Manifestation Babe Academy. So stay tuned for that. I've been reading this amazing book lately called Break the Good Girl Myth, where the author talks all about how to dismantle outdated rules that us women have put on ourselves as part of this good girl conditioning that we often see in places like religion and culture and the workplace and all kinds of other corners of society. And I've really been working on this reconditioning, this good girl conditioning for a few years now, and my God, it runs so deep. So I decided, genius idea, to bring the author on the Manifestation Bay podcast so that she can bring you some of the amazing wisdom that she puts into her book. And of course, I can ask her all the questions that I have been meaning to ask her since I read her book because I'm super curious like that. If you don't know who Maho Molfino is, she is an Argentine-American author, designer, and women's leadership expert. She's the host of the Heroine podcast featuring top female leaders, creatives, and visionaries. Her leadership program, Ignite, guides women to design and share a creative dream with the world. She has a master's in learning, design, and technology from Stanford University and a bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in cultural studies from McGill University. Maho has such a beautiful way of explaining things, and I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. So without further ado, let's dive in. Here's Maho. Hello, Maho, and welcome to the Manifestation Bay podcast. You look beautiful today, by the way. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Oh my goodness. I am so excited to talk all the things that we're talking about today because I don't think that this has been a topic that's come up yet on my podcast. And this is something that I know affects so many women. So you wrote a brilliant book that I got a chance to read a couple months ago called Break the Good Girl Myth. And I'm just so so curious, given your background in learning design and technology from Stanford University, like, can you share what got you into this space first and foremost, and what also inspired you to write a whole book on breaking the good girl conditioning? Sure. So I was that good girl growing up. <laughs> I was a daughter of immigrants, 
high achieving. I got all my straight A's. I crossed every T dotted every I. I was, I, you know, was the girl who won the spelling bee and, uh, you know, was at the front of the class and teachers loved me, you know, and, and I was the teacher's pet. And uh, that went through all the way through high school, all the way into my early 20s until I started to realize like, wow, that was really useful for me in school. But in life and the real world, being a good girl isn't helpful, <laughs> isn't helpful in a lot of ways. And I had a turning point in my 20s, a kind of wake up call realization that I had to unlearn a lot of the stuff I learned in my girlhood. And I think you know, that's the path that so many of us are on. And it takes, it takes intention. It takes us um, as adults to be like, you know what, what were the things that I learned from ages one to 18? And how does that, how has that good girl conditioning followed me into adulthood? And what can I do to like unlearn it so I can manifest my dream life, design the business relationships that I want and live in a, in a fulfilled way. Can you share what it means? Like you said two things that stick out. Obviously, can you expand on what good girl conditioning is? I know we're going to dive into like the main five good girl myths and all that good stuff. There's so much that came up for me in this book, but can you also share like what you meant by, I think the way that you worded it was, you know, being a good girl is, um, doesn't get you far or whatever you said. Can you kind of like expand why, like, what does it mean to be a good girl and what is that good girl conditioning exactly? Yes. So the good girl is a universal archetype. And the reason it's universal is because the patriarchy is universal. Patriarchy has been around for thousands of years. It's so old. And uh, some historians think that there was a time where certain parts of the planet were either egalitarian or matriarchal. But now what we're living in is uh, global patriarchy, which is a system why I'm talking about that is because it's important to understand like the context from which this emerges. So yeah, that, yeah that system um, has, pr- what it does is it privileges men over uh, of women and other genders. So, so the good girl is born from that culture and that global system. And so you can find it, you know, I've talked to women in Brazil. I've talked to women in Japan. I've talked to women in Australia. It's like women can recognize themselves in this archetype. And, you know, I like to describe it as a mask or armor that we develop because we want to feel safe and we want to be loved and we want to gain the approval, particularly of other people, but the men in our lives as well. So we think it's going to keep us safe. We think it's going to make us successful. Like if I just go along with the program and be a good girl, um, that's going to be great. But eventually it catches up to us. And eventually it's ultimately disempowering. Ultimately, women who are good girls their whole lives will hit a breaking point. They will have some kind of breakdown. And usually that is, um, usually their body tells them. You know, they develop an autoimmune disorder or their hair starts falling out or, you know, and something happens in their system. They maybe break out in rashes. That's, that's trying to alert them. Like this isn't working anymore. You know, uh, something has to change. Yeah. I can so resonate with that. Is it because if I'm just mirroring what you're saying, like, is it because, you know, we fall into this good girl conditioning, you bring up the patriarchy. Is it because we are trying to fit into this man's world and this is our way of, you know, becoming equals to men when we're not supposed to be men in the first place. There's a reason why we're women and we have different things like our menstrual cycle and Mm -hmm. we have like, you know, our bodies and we have wombs and we, you know, some of us decide to become mothers and there's just like so many elements to us that obviously don't make us men. Is it because we are trying to become equals in this world, in the patriarchy that we develop the good girl? Is a good girl like um, a a protection mechanism as you Mm -hmm. shared? Yes. So it's exactly as you described. It's us wanting to align with men and be like them, but it's also not wanting to get them angry or, you know, rock the boat, you know, because for thousands of years or for many centuries, like you, and in still, I want to be, uh, I want to acknowledge privilege here too, that in certain parts of the world, patriarchy is really, really strong still. And yeah. so, 
um, you know, for, you know, your life would be in danger if you spoke up, uh, you, uh, you know, if you broke the rules, like you could die. So for many centuries, like that fear is still in our systems, even though we live in the U S and we feel super liberated and we have had the women's rights movement. And so we think, Oh, we're in the clear, but there's all this old stuff that's still in our nervous systems, uh, from our ancestors, uh, and from our lineage and the women that came before us of, you know, fear of, Oh my God, if I break this good girl mentality, I could get killed. And that's real. And that's, and I do want to acknowledge it's still real in certain parts of the world. So we have a lot of work to do, but for those of us who are not in those parts of the world, we have an opportunity to, uh, I think we have a divine duty actually to, um, liberate ourselves and make sure that that old conditioning, we clean that up. I really love how in your book, you talked about how, you know, it's up to us to focus on the patriarchy inside of us because you mentioned how, you know, we cannot just self-help away injustices, right? But we can start to dismantle this, those oppressive systems like the patriarchy inside of us. Can you just speak on what you mean by that? Because I really loved what you shared there. Yeah. The patriarchy exists outside of us. So it's sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't have that much control. Right. It's right. Like, you know, especially women who work in like corporate contexts or maybe like really hyper masculine environments, they can feel helpless. They're like, oh, like, is anything going to change or even what we see in our politics or yeah. And I think that we need activists and we need policies to help combat that. But for those of us who are not in that camp and those are things we can't control, it's like, well, what can we control? We can, we can control and we have so much power over the patriarchy inside of us and the beliefs that we hold about what it means to be a woman and how a woman should act and behave. And so it's really our responsibility, I think, uh, to, to unlearn unlearn all the stuff that's out there. And the system is so, I just want to say, I know it's really hard because the culture is so pervasive. It's everywhere. It's in the music we listen to. It's in the films we watch, you know, it's in the every little, it's in on the shampoo bottles. It's, it's literally everywhere. So it's like up to us to be educated and be like, Hey, that doesn't, that doesn't look right. That doesn't, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, really deep subconscious programming, and there's so much repetition of it. And like I always tell my students, you know, we're in a constant trance. Like when we're just going through life, like watching TV, going in the shower, like as you said, it's on shampoo bottles, it's on TV, it's in music. Like we're in a constant trance when we're not actively focusing on things, and anything that comes into our being in that trance is going to get like integrated into our subconscious minds and whatever is in our subconscious minds, like that's what leads to sabotage. That's the, those are the things that hold us back. Those are the things that slow us down. Those are the things that are responsible for us moving two steps forward and then three steps back. And it's just this constant cycle. So I really love, can we dive into what those five good girl myths are that you talk about in your book? Can you kind of like explain them what each of them are and like, how do we know which one is present within us, if not all of them? Yes. So I'm really glad you brought up the subconscious component because there are five good girl myths. And the way I describe them is they're sneaky, subconscious uh, behaviors and tendencies that we need to shake off. And so a lot of us don't even realize that we're under the spell of them. So a lot of the book, the entire book is, hey, let's break down each one and go really deep with each good girl myth because I want you to be able to catch this within yourself. I want you to be able to look at the blind spot and say, and then bring more awareness to it because when you bring that awareness to it, the power of it goes down. So I'm really glad you brought that up. There are five, yes. So the first is the good girl myth of rules. Uh, that's really big one. This is following external rules instead of trusting our own desires, needs, and opinion. So that's the first one. The second, I'll go through them. Uh, I'll just list them out and define them yeah. and we can dive in. Sure. The second is the myth of perfection that's demanding perfection in ourselves and others uh, instead of embracing mistakes and also just the messiness of life. Uh, the third is the myth of logic, which is choosing logic over intuition, intellect over soul, uh, you know, left brain over right brain. 
And the fourth is the myth of harmony, which is a really big one. It's seeking harmony instead of embracing conflict that's actually necessary for growth and change. And then finally, the last is the myth of sacrifice, uh, putting other people's needs above, above our own at the expense of our well-being. So that's important. So those are the five rules, perfection, logic, harmony, and sacrifice. We have all five to some degree, but I argue in the book, there are one or two that are dominant. Yeah. For me, it was harmony and sacrifice. I think harmony had like on the points that I did, if I remember correctly, um, here's the page. I had 12 points on that one. And then the next one was seven, which was sacrifice. And the next one was perfection after that. But like harmony really stood out. And I know that for like the, the childhood that I, you know, came from, it was very important for me because there was so much disharmony in that Mm -hmm. household that Mm -hmm. I had to like figure out how to make everything else in life harmonious, which means that if I had my footing in something, it had to be harmonious. And I would literally choose other people's needs over my own self because I wanted to make sure that there was no conflict, that everyone was happy regardless of whether I was happy or not. And then of course, sacrifice. And I think that you and I have similar like backgrounds and that we are, you know, from immigrant families. And so a lot of it is like, look how much we sacrifice to come to this Mm -hmm. country. And so this, like this, this subconscious program of like, you must keep sacrificing for other people for the next generation, um, comes up Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought those up as your top two. It's so interesting because my top two are completely different than yours. Really? Yeah. So my number one is myth of perfection. And my number two is myth of logic. And I actually score pretty low in harmony and sacrifice, but I do still have them for sure. Yeah. And, and it just like goes to show, you know, I feel like the good girl archetype is so universal, but then these five good girl myths allow us to have some um, differentiation between us. And, uh, they kind of show like how, how strong our conditioning is at this point in our life. And for me, it was really important to not make this like a personality test or something like the Enneagram or, you know, the Zodiac, because what I was really trying to hammer home was this is conditioning. This is not your identity. (laughs) So, so right now, you know, you have these two really pervasive dominant ones that are coming up at this point in your life. And another point in your life, maybe another one might come up and they change with context. So there's a lot of nuance. Like for me, um, with harmony, uh, I, I see harmony come up more when I'm with like, let's say a group of men, but when I'm with my family, I'll just say whatever I want. My voice is much easier to access. So it's also interesting to look at context too. Like Mm -hmm. when do these come up and why, um, That's such a good point. Yeah. I didn't even think of that because it, it depends on who you're with, what the context is that different, different ones come out. And then it's, you know, recognizing which ones come out in which scenario. And like, is that holding you back? How is that holding you back? How can you change that? So I really love that you mentioned that. Can you dive into deeper into each one? Sure. So the good girl myth of rules is the, the good girl myth. I felt really strongly about opening, uh, opening with in the book, because it's foundational. Because if you can't break the good girl myth of rules, it's going to really, it's, it's going to be hard to break the other good girl myths because um, rules is really about what we're doing is we're saying to ourselves, if I just follow the rules, life will be easier. I will get ahead. Everything will be fine. I'll be safe. And, and the rules provide all these benefits to us, you know, uh, I love, I love to talk about that. You know, what is the benefit? Like, why are we so addicted to it? Right. Cause in mm-hmm. some ways we have an addiction to it. Um, that's subconscious that we keep, there's some reward that's happening, which is keeping us there. And so where I see the benefits are for rules is if I follow the rules, I'll gain approval and the sense of belongingness. Right. So, cause a lot of communities, if you think about it, a lot of communities and cultures have their own rules, right? Yeah. And so we follow them because we want to feel belonging with that culture community. Right. Yeah. So there's a benefit we get when we follow the rule, which is, which is useful for a lot, for some periods of life that's useful, but are we defaulting into it? Or are we choosing it? That's the big key, key distinction actually for all the good girl myths. You know, are you, did you just default, were you just born into a community 
with, with a bunch of rules. And now you're just following those rules without actually thinking like, do I agree with this? Is this actually in line with my nature? <laughs> is this the, is, is this the, is this connected with my deepest authenticity? Like that's the, the key thing here. So if I follow the rules, the benefit is belongingness. If I follow the rules, the benefit is control, right? Cause I'm going to get, mm. I'm going to know where we're going. I'm going to have a formula. I'm going to feel safe. I have instructions. <laughs> yeah. It's like a framework. And I yeah. think that's really stood out to me in the rules that you had written down is there's a lot of shoulds. Like yes. every single one of them starts with a should. And I often share with my students, I'm like, if you have anything like I have to, or I should come up for you, you really need to start questioning those things because they're not coming from you. They're always coming from some external influence or coming from your ego. They're coming from something that's telling you that if you don't do this, like something bad is going to happen. Or if you don't do this, you're not going to be loved. You're not going to be enough. You're not going to be worthy. And so anytime you hear the word should pay close attention. And I love that you mentioned that in your rules. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, these are all the shoulds that we should all over ourselves with. <laughs> yeah. the shoulds we should all over ourselves. I love that. Yes. And you know, I talk about this in that chapter, the four systems that give us the most rules in our life that we need to look out for. So they're family, religion, school, and then what I call like pop culture, broad mainstream culture, like music, film, TV, that kind of thing. So those are the four um, major external systems, authorities, communities that have all of these rules that we feel we need to follow. And again, what do we gain when we follow them? Ah, oh, a nice warm sense of belongingness. But what do we give up? That's the question, <laughs> right? Yeah. What, do, what do a lot of us give up? We give up our purpose, our sense of purpose, uh, which is huge. We give up our self-authority, right? And so you know, there's always a trade-off. Every good girl myth is tempting, so tempting to follow them. You know, there's some delicious reward, but then what the, the, the price is steep. And so we always have to look at the price. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for, for rules, it's really our purpose and self-authority because women who have been following the rules their whole lives, they will get to a point where they're like, what am I supposed to be doing on this planet? What is the legacy I want to leave behind? Why am I even here? Like they'll have deep searching for purpose. And a lot of it's because of the good girl method rules. Mm, Love it. Yeah. So that's rules. Um, Let's move on. Do you want to move on? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. keep going. (laughs) All right. So myth of perfection is uh, the second one. It's really, it's my, my number one. And, you know, I think it's like feeling like I always have to perform and in all areas of life. So my biggest, my biggest fear is fear of failure. And I think women with the myth of perfection, that's the thing, like fear of failure, being embarrassed and, you know, showing any kind of weakness. This is one of the more quote unquote, I would say, um, I don't always like to use this language and I don't know if you do with your audience, but masculine or feminine. Do you? Yes. Yeah, okay. yeah. This is one of the more masculine, like I would say, uh, good girl myths. Uh, because it has this achievement bent where we are trying to compete and be number one and, uh, and beat other people <laughs> at things. So there's a lot of comparison that comes with this one. Yeah. And, and it's the Achilles heel. I like to think of comparison as the Achilles heel of, <laughs> of when we have the myth of perfection. And so our work, our work is really to reclaim the powers we have to reclaim with this good girl myth are, is our authenticity and vulnerability. And so I really break down in this chapter, like how to build creative confidence and also how to sort of like start deprogramming some of that deep seated achievement stuff that we all have, you know, that because we, we live in a society, you know, it's American society. Well, I don't know, you probably have a global audience, but we live in a, in a society that says, we got to make a lot of money. We got to be number one. We got to get the trophy. You know, it's competitive. Mm -hmm. You talk about, speaking of vulnerability, you talked about um, something that you call the vulnerability edge Mm -hmm. and how to grow out of your comfort zone by constantly touching this edge. I love this concept. I love that your book comes with like charts and graphics and it's just like, it's so much fun. There's so many frameworks and formulas in here that make it so much fun. Can you like share 
this concept because I know it's going to resonate with so many people, especially people who do have that fear of failure. And I also want to argue that perhaps perfectionism, like from my perspective as well, just like having had overcome that in the past is that we also have a fear of success as well. Mm -hmm. And perfectionism is something that keeps us from achieving our version of success because we're so afraid of what it might mean about us. If we actually reach that, what we might lose, who we might let go of, who's going to be in the picture, who's not going to be in the picture. And so we're constantly stuck in this perfectionism because perfectionism keeps us from actually growing and taking action that's outside of our comfort zone. And so we don't actually reach success and we're constantly avoiding failure. So we're just like stuck in this like zone somewhere in the middle that isn't leading us to anywhere. And you share this like process almost of how you can slowly, but surely gently and beautifully, but also productively get out of your comfort zone without overly terrifying yourself. Can you just kind of speak on that concept? Cause I absolutely loved it. Sure. So, uh, I think when the graphic that you were referring to was this circle that I drew, and if our, your listeners can visualize a circle, and there place yourself in that circle, that's your comfort zone. Okay, everything outside of this circle is your uh, growth zone. This is where you actually feel uncomfortable. So there's discomfort uh, outside of the circle, and the edge of the circle, so the line, is your vulnerability edge. So your vulnerability edge is that sweet spot <laughs> between comfort and discomfort. And the analogy I like to give for those of you those of you who practice yoga is if you've ever been in a pigeon pose or hip opener and you're in that pose and you feel that place of discomfort in your hip and the yoga instructor will say something like, you know, take a deep breath and breathe through that discomfort. And then you notice as you relax into it, you notice that the edge moves back a little and you go deeper into the stretch. And it's, it's kind of the same concept. It's like, okay, you have this vulnerability edge here. And what you want to do is you want to push it back so that more, so that your circle of comfort, actually your more things make you comfortable, less things make you uncomfortable. And the way that I share to do that is through my background in design and design thinking, because one of the beautiful things about design thinking is it, uh, it is about building creative confidence by taking action on your ideas. And I think so many brilliant women under this good girl myth of perfection, they will procrastinate and delay taking action on their dreams because they're afraid either of failure or success. And so there are easy ways to build creative confidence by, uh, by brace, basically prototyping our ideas. And this has been a big part of what oh, I yeah. teach now. I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I teach in my own um, leadership program, Ignite, is like we're, we're really um, prototyping our ideas and expanding that, uh, pushing back that vulnerability edge because that's how growth happens. Think about it as a muscle, right? You have to also make little tears in a muscle in order for it to grow stronger. You know, some people try to avoid rejection, for example, (laughs) and avoid failure. It's like, actually, no, that's a little tear you need in your muscle for it to grow, right? You need that. So with a lot of the, you know, I like to call myself a a strict, compassionate and fierce mama bird in my program because I'm taking a lot, you know, supporting women through a process where I see my little birdies getting rejected (laughs) and putting themselves out there and failing, but also experiencing a lot of success. And that's part of the process, right? Because how else are you going to grow in your creative confidence? Um, If you're not getting rejected, if you're not feeling embarrassed about what you're putting out there to some degree, then you're probably playing safe. You're probably playing small. uh, You're probably just in that comfort zone. I love that. One of my markers in my business personally for like, am I improving is I will often look back at something I posted like a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. And if I'm literally not embarrassed of what I have created, then I have not grown. (laughs) And so if I look back and I like listen to my old content, even though it's still good stuff, it's still, it still resonates with someone who was in that place that I was in three years ago when that version of me 
created the content. So like, that's why, of course, I don't delete my old podcasts, right? Like I keep them there and people, when they start from episode one, I'm like, oh fuck, here we go. Like, I don't even know what I said in that, in that episode. And every time I listen to my old stuff, I'm like, oh, why did, why would I talk like that? Why would I say that? Oh my God, I was so nervous here or whatever. And I just know that because I allowed myself to get that vulnerable and because I allowed myself to be on that edge, I know I have improved because now I look back at this old stuff and I'm like, oh, this is weird. You know, and I only hope that in, uh, you know, two years time, three years time, four years time that I can look back at where I'm at right now with the exact same, like, oh, embarrassment. But that just means like, again, like you said, you have to open yourself to rejection. You have to open yourself up to potential embarrassment because that is the only way to get to where you want to go. It's like, it's like the only way there is through. And so you have yes. to go through this tunnel. You have to go through the tunnel of darkness and weirdness and embarrassment, all that stuff. But that's that's awesome. And like the person who's thinking the most about what is embarrassing to you or what is uncomfortable to you or any rejection, like if you feel... Uh, if you're afraid of rejection and let's say you get rejected, like the only person who's ever really thinking about that thing is going to be you. Like everyone is so engrossed in their own lives. Like nobody is being like, Oh, why would she talk like that? Why would she say that? Why? Blah, 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 blah. Like nobody's going to remember anything. It's just you who's living with it. And so for me, that really helps me because I'm like, okay, I'm the only one who's paying really close attention to this and no one else is paying close attention to this. So really it doesn't matter. And I'm the only one who's perpetuating this. So if I'm the only one perpetuate perpetuating this, then I can let it go. And once I let it go, then I have freedom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we, as I love that you shared that because I feel like we as girls and women have been trained to have like low creative confidence and we're mortified if we put anything out there that's in process or that's a little ugly or messy because we're so used to being put together yeah. and putting up the image and putting up the mask. And so <laughs> it's like what I invite or challenge women to do is to show yourself and be seen and heard in your process. I know it's so vulnerable and, um, and you know what? I can't even guarantee that you won't be judged. You know, you may be yeah. judged, you know, yeah. you may be silently judged or vocally judged, but guess what? You know, that's going to Those people are not, you know, like Brene Brown says, a lot of the people who are on the sidelines judging, they're not in the arena, quote unquote, they're not even putting themselves out there. No, in fact, that judgment is coming from a place of envy often. And so, you know, it's almost like you have to learn how to like, you have to allow the range of responses to come, you know, whether it's rejection, judgment, praise, because we can also get hooked to praise. You know, we're hooked to the likes, we're hooked to the views. We get the dopamine hit every time we get uh, a like or someone watches our Instagram story. It's like, you got to be careful with that stuff too, because then what does that do? Whenever you don't get a like, whenever you don't get a thing, you feel <laughs> bad. And it's like, now you're hooked to the praise. So it's like, whether it's, rejection, judgment, like don't be hooked to any of it. You know what I mean? Like find your center and allow for the range of responses. Yeah. Something that really spoke to me is like, you're going to, you know, like you're going to get judged no matter what. And you just have to be open to that and just be okay with that. Like just speaking from experience, when I was starting my business, I was being judged. Like, who do you think you are? you haven't even made money yet. Like all of these, all of these judgments that I was so terrified of talking about what I was doing because I was so afraid of people really knowing how I was doing at that time. And now having had built success, it's like, I'm still being judged. There's haters yes. that come on my Instagram. They're like, who the fuck do you think you are driving that car, doing this, doing that, making that much money, whatever. It's like, you're going to get judged no matter what. So what mm -hmm. do you want to get judged for? Do you want to be judged? You know, do you want to, you know, keep living in your comfort zone and not going after your dreams and not really living up to your potential? Or do you want to say, screw it in spite of all of that? I'm going to live up to my potential. I'm going to live my dream life. I'm going to create all these things and who cares? I'm still going to get judged. The moral yes. of the story is you're going to get judged no matter what. You're going what. to get judged no matter what. And yeah. everybody, yeah. And the only, actually, I would add a nuance to that, which is, the only time you're not going to get judged is when you're being invisible and hiding in your Bro. closet. <laughs> so that's why most people do that, right? Most people Bro. hide because they're like, I'm safe here. I'm not going to get judged. But again, what is the price of that for you? It's like, you're not going to live up to your potential. You're not going to live that dream life that you want. You're not going to manifest that 
the, the life that you deserve and want, you know, it's, it's not, it's not worth it. Just get, just tolerate a little judgment. Who fucking cares? <laughs> Before we move on from the myth of perfection, there's one more thing that you talked about, which is like the, I think it was the Elastigirl girl from Incredibles. Like, yes. you know, just balancing, like, like women are expected to balance everything and balance everything perfectly and how they lead themselves to burnout and exhaustion because they, never feel like what they accomplish is good enough. And you talk about this concept of being and just give yourself permission to be and embrace being. And this is something that trips up so many people because I, I teach a lot on this concept of like how being is more important than doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just curious to hear from your perspective, like what advice do you give to women? How do you encourage them to break the never ending hamster wheel and actually feel worthy just for existing and just being. And like you said, like our bodies, like even when we're not being productive in a masculine way, when we're just being like our bodies are doing so much and there's so much productivity that's happening in our bodies. Like we're digesting and we're having, like we're experiencing a cycle, a menstrual cycle, um, like all of these incredible things. If we're pregnant, we're growing a baby, even if we're not quote unquote doing anything. So how can women feel worthy and good enough just being, just being them? I'm so glad you brought this up. And this is like deep programming. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's so deep. Just the other day, you know, I, I decided, you know what? I'm going to take half a Wednesday off. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And even in that, I, I felt this little voice in the back of my head saying, you're selfish. You should feel guilty about this, you know? And I was just like, wow, the programming is so, pr- I, I had the awareness to be like, I hear you voice, but I'm going to tuck you away yeah. <laughs> and enjoy my Wednesday. And, and it's just, we have attached our worth to our work and our productivity. And it's, it's, it's been ingrained in us since we were so small. So I invite women who are listening to start practicing a mantra this is something you can tell your conscious mind. So like a positive affirmation, or it's something you can tell your subconscious mind. If you want to go into a hypnotic state, or if you practice something like yoga nidra, you go into deep, deep reprogramming, which is the simple line. I am worthy simply because I exist. No, I am worthy simply because I exist. And if you can just continue to tell yourself this again and again, you know, start, linking your worthiness to existence, (laughs) to just being you, just being here, just breathing, just being in the present moment, being here. If you can, if you can program that into your nervous system, wow. You know, then when you're also taking action, you're, you're so clear too, because you're letting yourself drop into more being and then doing is so much more clear. And so, uh, that mantra is really supported me when I've felt that guilt or uh, shame around just around not doing. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And like from a space of manifestation, like all beautiful things manifest from that space. Like the only, the only main like thing, like there's, you know, when I help my students work through their limiting beliefs, I often remind them that at the root of almost every single limiting belief is that you don't believe you're worthy and you don't believe you're enough. Like you don't believe you're worthy of this thing and you don't believe that you are enough just for existing. So I really help them clear that because when you have that belief, just the opposite of that, which is I am worthy of everything that I want and I am enough just for existing, just for being every beautiful thing manifests from that space. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's incredible how fast it shifts too. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, I believe it. Mm-hmm. It's it's so fast. It's so powerful. It's so amazing. So at, to anyone listening, I encourage you to start practicing that mantra. And also, the energy in which you take action in always determines the end result of that action. So if you're taking action because you're not feeling enough, you're only going to manifest more uh, more mm-hmm. ways for you to keep taking action so that you feel enough. And it's going to turn, you're literally entering onto, onto a hamster wheel and just manifesting more hamster wheels. And so if you can bring yourself to the space of being like Maho said, you know, just the sharing that, that, uh, that mantra affirmation and really practicing being in that energy and regulate, regulating your nervous system, um, you will be in that energy that no matter what it is that you do, it's going to manifest incredible things. Mm-hmm. 
Let's move on to the next myths, shall we? Sure. So good girl myth of logic. This is my secondary myth. It's, oh, I love this one. Yeah, it's best to follow my mind and intellect over my body and my intuition. This is for those of us who grew up like, you know, having to be really smart and good at math and verbal and be good at school and have critical thinking skills. It's like, wow, it's so amazing that we've built up all these analytical, intellectual thinking skills. Love it. Really useful in life. We should definitely not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But are we disconnected from other forms of intelligence, maybe more feminine forms of intelligence, like intuition, imagination, empathy? So those are the powers we reclaim with the good girl myth of logic. Mm, Yeah. I would say that when I was transitioning from, you know, letting go of medical school to doing what I do now, which is a very intuitive thing. It was, it was a big thing for me. The mythologic definitely came up for me because it was the constant, I mean, like I have a science background and so it's just, I didn't know that. Yeah. I have a a bachelor's in biology and I have all my pre-med prerequisites fulfilled. So I ended up doing like five years of school because I had to do extra physics classes and extra OCHEM and biochem and all this stuff. Um, and then right before, like right around the time that I was supposed to start applying for medical school, I went to a Tony Robbins event. And at this event, for the very first time, I heard this voice being like, Catherine, who are you living for? Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And so I just kind of wrote it down. I'm like, that's an interesting question. Okay. So I just like wrote it down. And every day of that event, it just got louder and louder and louder. Like Catherine, who the fuck are you living for? And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. And so finally this new awareness came in where I realized I'm only going to, going to medical school, um, to win the approval of my parents and to there you do, go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to do what they've always wanted me to do. It's my mom's dream. She finally admitted it. It's funny. Cause now we can joke about it now, but it was like a really traumatic time for me because mm-hmm. all of a sudden I got cut off and like had no support for anything that I wanted to do because, and like my parents were using every fear tactic under the, under the sun to, you know, convince me that I should still go to medical school because it was my, uh, quote unquote, only way to be successful. And if I would not go to medical school, then I would from their own words, literally just become a janitor. And there's nothing wrong with being a janitor. It's just like, that's, that's the They're immigrants, right? They are immigrants. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it it was a really tough time. And Mm -hmm. then I realized that I was in a relationship I was in just because it was comfortable. It wasn't something that I wanted to be in. And I was living in Washington state when I really wanted to be living in Los Angeles. And so literally that week was the first time I ever started listening to my intuition. And like, you know, I tell my students like, as kids, we're all listening to our intuition. It's this, it's this conditioning that gets us out of our bodies and into our minds as we mm-hmm. get older, because kids are all in their bodies. It's really beautiful to witness how they play, they feel, they have emotions, they're intuitive, they're, they have beautiful imaginations. They're amazing. And then at some point you go to school, um, like yep. the myth of rules, right? And so then you're conditioned. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would say school educate the education system really fails kids with this for sure. And so all of a sudden, I'm listening to my intuition, and I'm like, I feel crazy. Are you kidding me? Am I actually supposed to go home and tell my parents I'm not going to medical school? Uh, Literally delete my half filled applications and break up with my boyfriend and move to LA at the same time. And it's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, I need a freaking sign. And at this time, I I didn't really understand. Like I didn't have the spiritual connection that I have now, but I just like literally looked at the ceiling of my grandma's house and I'm like, whoever is up there, God, universe, whatever, can someone talk to me, please? Can you please send me a sign that I'm on the right path? Because I literally feel crazy right now. And I said, the first thing that came to me, I'm like, show me 1111. If I'm on the right path, you have to show me 1111. And at that time, 1111 didn't have very much meaning to me. It was just something my best friend always said, like 1111, make a wish. I'm like, okay. Like that's just something I always heard. And I just chose that number. And I, she was actually picking me up and this is like about five minutes before she, she was supposed to pick me up. And I just like, I thought I was going crazy. I was like, I, we need to hang out. I need to talk to you, whatever. And I go to my grandma's um, kitchen to grab a glass of water before I leave. And I look at the microphone, uh, microphone, the microwave and on there it was 1111. And I was like, Oh my God. And since then it's just been like, a 
I mean, it's been a journey of ups and downs and plateaus and stuff like that. But ever since I let go of solely relying on logic, because logic has its place and it has its power and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But when I really tapped into intuition, it's like, it was like a freaking highway to success for me. Like obviously bumps, obstacles, you know, there's things that come up, but it was just like a, Yes. Oh my God. Thanks for sharing that. It's such a good example of you breaking your good girl myth of logic. And what I love about that story was how you talked about different life areas. Like I think a lot of women who have this good girl myth, they are choosing the logical career. They're choosing the logical partner and they're choosing a logical place to live. (laughs) And it's like, yeah. And their intuition's probably raging like, Hey, or whispering like, Hey, listen to me, (laughs) you know? Um, and so I think reclaiming those, those, that deep, deeper intelligence through, I talk about it in the book, through dance, through dream work, through embodiment practices. Uh, that's big. And that's really been big for me and sort of owning myself, even as an artist, you know, I have always, always been so intellectual and logical and artistry is often so, and creativity is often just so random and it wants to do what it wants to do. And it's, <laughs> and it just is born out of, inspiration. Yeah. And so, and so being able to tap into that has been really important to me as I continue to write poetry and fiction and whatever. So, yeah. Big, so big. what is the next myth? Cause I think we have two more, right? Yes. So the myth of harmony, yes. the myth of harmony, which is your primary. So this is like, you know, if I just go along with the flow, avoid being difficult, there won't be any problems. Everyone will get along. And this is really, um, it looks like you want to seek and keep harmony. You don't want to have conflict. You don't want to have difficult conversations. And the problem with that is oftentimes conflict and difficult conversations are what's needed for relationships to change, for life to change, and for things to mature. And so it's kind of like we need, we need some friction. Uh, we need a healthy dose of friction for our relationships to mature. But when we're in the myth of harmony, it's like we're avoiding that at all costs. And so I give some examples from clients, but what happens is it catches up to you. Um, You don't speak up to your partner over multiple months, maybe years, and then there's a huge rupture, you know, or maybe there's a big explosion because you haven't been releasing some of that pressure uh, along the way. So it's just building up, building up, building up. And so for us as women, it's really about learning how to use our voices and speak up for ourselves. Uh, Because I feel like this is, this is big, 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 big. It's very deep. A lot of us feel cut off on our throat uh, or throat energy center. Um, And, and so it's really about being able to open that up and speak with clarity and share, Hey, this is not okay with me. So exerting a boundary or sharing, no, I don't want to do that. You know, sharing our no is big. And also giving feedback to people, uh, continuously giving feedback to people. I I feel like it's so easy to to not, not give feedback to our partners, our loved ones, our family members, our friends, you know, because we just want to, we want to be easy, you know, we want to (laughs) be, we want to be likable, pleasant, and um, I have frameworks in that chapter around how to properly and, and compassionately give feedback when there's a trigger or um, when something needs to be dealt with. I have to say for someone who, and like, this is probably most of us who never learned nonviolent communication ever. It like, how can we don't learn this? I don't understand, but <laughs> I'm also in a trauma certification and we also talk about nonviolent communication and, uh, it's, it's such a game changer and the frameworks that you provide in this book are just so helpful. It's like the formulas that you have in here. I'm like, yeah, every time I've ever made progress, um, in a, some sort of you know, conflict where I had to have a tough conversation and set boundaries and be like, I, you know, this is not okay. This is okay though. And like, this is what I need. This, these are my values, et cetera. Just like you share in the book, it's like freaking just so much progress is made from those spaces and it's so worth it. Like if, if you struggle with this, like harmony is something that's come up, you know, the myth of harmony for me many, many times in my life. And I feel like I've made the most amount of progress with this. It's amazing just how much clearer and freer you feel, even if temporarily you may have upset that person or that person upset you, even if it's tough and difficult, you just feel so relieved and just having 
been able to express your voice. Like you mentioned before, there's lots of parts in the world and lots of times in the past where women could not express Mm -hmm. their voices. And so there's a lot of throat chakra healing and just even like in your own private relationships, like with your significant other, just starting there and being able to express your voice or with your friendships or whatever. And then bringing that onto like bigger platforms, like at work, or if you have a social media following on social media, on a podcast, like it's just so freeing and empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. Yes. I think the myth of harmony is huge. It's really big. And we've seen women also collectively break it with, you know, recent movements like me too, and times up. So that's been really amazing to see too. And, 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 and I think it's really happening on a personal level and a collective level. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) Okay. What is the last myth? It's sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, you know, I need to prioritize the needs of others before my own, often at the expense of our self-care and well-being. And so I think that all the good girl myths have a strategy for approval. For this one, it's being selfless, helpful, but also for a lot of women, it's about saving the day and solving other people's problems. Yeah. And so there's a, that's when the sacrifice can come in too. And where next thing you know, we're really doing a lot of emotional, physical labor for other people. And again, we've been trained to, you know, throughout the centuries, like even the oldest ancient texts, you know, across so many religions have had this sort of like a virtuous woman is a woman who's selfless, who, yes. you, know, you know, lays herself down on the rocks, you know, and, 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 and that gets passed down multi-generationally. And it gets rewarded too, you know, because somebody benefits when you're sacrificing. (laughs) Um, And so, and you probably like that reward too. You like to feel needed, you know? And so I I think what's really dangerous about this good girl myth is when we are under this myth of sacrifice, what we give up and what we need to reclaim is our time and our energy. And that might not seem like a big deal on a day-to-day basis, but it adds up. And the next thing you know, your time and energy adds up to your contribution, to your destiny, to your legacy, to what you're leaving behind in the world, to the impact that you're making and want to make. And so uh, to, to the contribution you want to give. And, and so I think, you know, just because you, know, you might think, oh, well, what's the big deal? You know, I'm, I'm helping someone out today or helping or not saying no t- tomorrow, but over a few weeks and months, the next thing you know, you're working on someone else's dream and not your own dream. You're yeah. manifesting someone else's dream life. You're not manifesting your own <laughs> dream life. <laughs> yeah. It's like the compound effect. It just yes. compounds over time. And we don't notice that every little small thing that we do on a day-to-day basis, at some point, if you look forward, couple years, you know, go by and you realize, like you said, you're literally building someone else's life. You're literally building someone else's dream. You're literally manifesting other people's dreams because you're not really careful in like looking at the day-to-day things that you are constantly sacrificing that compound over time to create these massive sacrifices. I'm curious. I'm pretty sure you see a lot of moms in this category. Yeah. Sacrificing everything for their children. Yes. And I, and, you know, I talk about this with all the good girl myths, choice and default. So there's a time for each of these. Like, I'm not saying let's, let's just do away with harmony. Let's never have, you know, logic or <laughs> never have sacrifice. Um, so I think there is a, there's a time when you're coming into motherhood and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm choosing motherhood and for a period of time, I'm choosing to put my child's needs over my own. Uh, That makes sense for me. This is where I am in my life phase. And that's beautiful. And I don't want to say that that's wrong. I think where things get a little mm, tricky for us as women is either we didn't choose it and we've just defaulted into it because we were supposed to do it. And next thing you know, we're just doing it. And maybe, you know, for those of moms of older children, maybe it's like, you know, we're continuing to do it, even though the child's 18, the child's 25. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, they, they need to stand on their own legs kind of thing. And so, because, but we're, because we love the feeling of being needed and because we're so attached to that identity and role as mother that, 
um, that that's where, you know, that's why so many uh, empty nesters, quote unquote, um, start to ask themselves, what's my purpose? We see that so many women in their fifties, sixties, right? We see that tendency. It's because of this, because now the identity of mom has maybe died away or dwindled because the child has gone off to college. And now it's like, Oh, well, who am I if I'm that mother, you know? And it's like, it's a deeper question of like, who am I if I'm not in a supporting role, you know? And, and it's, 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 it's a really powerful question to ask. And if you're in that, in that space right now, like you're in a really good spot to, to design something really beautiful for yourself moving forward. Wow. Uh, something that came up for me is like the question that you asked a, a question that really helped me a lot is like, who am I? If not, if I'm not constantly struggling, who am I, if I'm not constantly sacrificing, who am I, blah, 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 blah. And I just realized that like a lot of people have a fear of like, if they don't work super hard, if they're not constantly struggling, that they're not going to be productive. And what I have learned, like from just my personal experience and something we talked about in our group, um, for my trauma certification is like, yeah, you're absolutely going to continue to be productive and create amazing things like, and be able to contribute in ways that you want to. It's just that the difference is, is one is unsustainable and the other is sustainable. And when you're coming from like this peace of mind and like literally dismantling all these myths and like, who am I without all these myths? When you, at some point you realize you're still you, it's just, you have a crystal clear freaking head and you are not in burnout. You're not in, you're not being frantic and panicky and anxious all the time. You're just cool, calm and collected and bringing so much beauty to the world in such a sustainable way. And I'm at this point in my life right now where sustainability is so important to me. Like I will not go on any workout program that is not sustainable. I will not eat anymore in unsustainable ways. I will not work anymore in unsustainable ways because I realize like I'm going to be here. Like if I end up living, let's say to a hundred years to a hundred years old, like I'm going to be here all this time. What is a fucking rush? <laughs> like I will still, you know what I mean? Like right now I am creating deep, 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 deep into creation mode to the point where I barely have time for social media. And I'm like, Oh my God, am I posting enough? I'm not posting enough. I haven't posted a story in like three days. Oh my God. Da, da, da. And I've had to come to realize like, wait a second, Catherine, Instagram, fucking Instagram and your social platform, whatever you choose to do, post on whatever is still going to be there in six months. It's still yes. going to be there in a year. You're still going to be on this platform because you're in it for the long run. You're still going to be here five years later, 10 years from now, it's still going to be there. Like you don't have to do everything in one fucking day. You don't have mm-hmm. to create everything in a single month. And it's just amazing, like sustainability. And I'm curious, like based off of that, what in your, from your perspective is like the reward for dismantling all of this? Like why do this work? Why release these subconscious programs? What do we get at the end of it? Such a good question. Oh, well, I think that at the end of dismantling your good girl myths, you are living a a life that feels fulfilling. Uh, You're living from a deeper place of authenticity and truth. You are, you're aligned with a purpose in this lifetime, you know, a calling and leaving behind a legacy that matters. And you're also choosing a life, you're yeah. not defaulting into a life. I think that's really big. You're, you're, you're living life with intention. And I think that's huge. I really think that's huge. And I think it's also a highly personal question because each woman, every woman listening to this episode right now, ask yourself, like, who would I be if I wasn't being a good girl, you Mm -hmm. know, ask yourself, who would I be? And, and you'll get your unique image in your mind. You can maybe even see yourself, you know, and what is that? What is that woman doing? How is she speaking and who is she becoming? And, and I really invite each, each person listening to, to do that visualization for themselves. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. So beautiful. Maho, I can talk to you forever. Thank you so much for coming onto this podcast. I encourage each and every single one of you to read this book. Can you just share like where people can buy this book, where people can find you, work with you, support you, do all the fun stuff? Sure. So you can find the book at goodgirlmyth.com. 
And you can connect with me on Instagram at Maho Molfino. My first name is spelled M-A-J-O. There aren't many of us out there, so you should find me. (laughs) (laughs) And I will also spell this out for each and every single one of you in the show notes, link the book as well as your Instagram. And for anybody who is listening, please go ahead and take a screenshot of this episode right now and tag at Maho Molfino and at Manifestation Babe and just let us know what your aha moments were, your breakthroughs, takeaways, and send all the love to beautiful Maho for sharing her wisdom, her knowledge, and her energy with us today. Thank you so much for being here, Maho. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Catherine. All right. To the rest of you listening, I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you absolutely loved what you heard today, be sure to share it with me by leaving a review on iTunes so that I can keep the good stuff coming your way. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra inspiration on Instagram by following at ManifestationBabe or visiting my website at ManifestationBabe.com. I love and adore you so much and can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. In the meantime, go out there and manifest some magic.